on the first hand, we have to have the knowledge and skills in our hands to serve kids well. The second hand that I always think about is how do we also serve in collaboration the others that stand beside mm -hmm. that child or that adult. I think we are stronger when families are at the table. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. I'm embarrassed to say that within the last year, I became a member of the Council for Exceptional Children, or CEC, for the first time. I just wasn't sure how I fit as a teacher of students with visual impairment. To dig deeper, I caught up with Dr. Amy Parker, president of an important CEC division while attending a Pacific Northwest AER conference. Her career has been so prolific that she accidentally skipped sharing her work at the American Printing House for the Blind, which we know only collects the best. Amy engages, educates, and inspires me every time we talk, and I expect you'll feel the same. I'm Amy Parker. I now work at Portland State University. I'm a coordinator of a new orientation and mobility program there, a tenure-track professor, assistant level. I am ultimately the sister of Melody, who happens to be 18 months older than me and has multiple disabilities. She was born with cortical visual impairment, but that's not what they called it then mm. because she was born in 1970. Okay. She has cerebral palsy mm -hmm. and intellectual disabilities, uh, but she was at the cusp of when the public law passed that allowed students with disabilities to attend public school. Mm -hmm. That was slowly being implemented across the country. Mm -hmm. But Melody and I grew up together. We shared a holly hobby room <laughs> together that was light yeah. blue and we shared Sears twin furniture, you know, the white furniture and the, the little decorations. So she was always a part of my life. We mm -hmm. did things together growing up as a family and accommodated Melody and and her special needs as a family, mm -hmm. but it was it was like breathing. Mm. So I didn't know that Melody would have such a profound influence on my life. Mm -hmm. I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian, then I thought I wanted to be a doctor, then I thought I wanted to be <laughs> all these different things. Yeah. Went to the Helen Keller National Center for okay. an internship experience and for some training. And I thought, this is it. This is exactly <laughs> what I want to do, to work with people who are deafblind. How did you go from there to now being at Portland State? I think over the course of time, I never really planned to get my doctorate. I didn't mm -hmm. just start out and say, that's what I want to do. I had various roles within mm -hmm. Helen Keller. They were always about people with disabilities in community accessing employment or accessing transportation or the environment. So after I did job coaching, I was a community placement specialist mm -hmm. with Helen Keller and served a regional area in the Midwest, then moved to the Southeast and also played the role of a regional representative for Helen Keller National Center and provided outreach. It was really about connections as well as providing professional development. And then there came an opportunity mm -hmm. to have my doctorate paid for yeah. through the National um, Center on Leadership for Visual Impairments. Mm -hmm. But I was recruited to Texas Tech That's University right. because they yeah. had 
they are one of the few programs in the country that has a specialization mm-hmm. in deaf blindness mm-hmm. as well as a doctoral program. And that's how I got my doctorate, really got introduced to Texas, had partnered with Texas before mm-hmm. on some projects and outreach, but yeah. um, really got more deeply introduced at that time. That's great. And then um, the National Center on Deaf Blindness uh, had a position open in coordinating and developing some online multimedia modules Mm -hmm. called the Open Hands, well, they became called the Open Hands Open Access modules. Mm -hmm. And I went there and was asked to create uh, something like that. They Mm -hmm. didn't know exactly what modules would be created, but it was to support um, a national movement around interveners. Mm That's for great. children who are deafblind. So given that you work within professional prep at the university level, what are the some of the biggest challenges our new professionals face, in your opinion? Well, I think that professionals grow in a community. Mm-hmm. You come out of a program, and a program can only get you so far, right? Yeah. You, you take the classes, and you do the assignments, and you right. have the conversations, and then you go through the practicum. Right. You know, and our practicum for O&M is 400 hours, and wow. we have them do an e-portfolio. They develop artifacts and reflect on their practice, and they do all of that. Yeah. Most of them are working full-time while they do it. Mm-hmm. But they come out, and there's still a lot more to know about yeah. O&M. Right. But you learn that through community. Mm-hmm. You learn that through experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to have the time to work with people. Right. To work with clients or young students, yeah. families, and to grow in that practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so professional learning communities and supports are essential. Sometimes I think it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. You know, people come out of prep programs and they do know a lot. They've yeah. been exposed, hopefully, to fresh ideas and information and that coursework is really mm-hmm. in their heads. Yeah. So people will look to them sometimes and say, oh, well, you just went through your training program. Yeah. But at the same time, they just went through their training program. They don't have the experience that you gain from working, right. walking the street, from yeah. really getting in there with kids. Mm-hmm. So then our clinical partners in the community that mm-hmm. want to mentor or be involved with our students think, this student may know more than me because mm-hmm. my training was back in 1980 or my training was back in 1990 yeah. or whenever it was, and they feel this Mm-hmm. This sense of um, the student has more recent information, but what the oh. student doesn't have yeah. is what the clinical partner has in mm-hmm. terms of that street knowledge and the knowledge that you learn from trying something and working with students on what they need at that granular level every day to get where they yeah. want to go. Yeah, I was I was talking to someone recently about this and how, you know, we talk a lot about university programs and how we just can't fit it all in, which is true, we can't. Um, but then really emphasizing that message you just shared that, but that doesn't mean you're done learning. Like we give you the, the skills to get going and then, you know, being engaged in a professional community, like you said, is so important for that extra you know. my, my, one of my professors at Tech, Dr. Rosanna Davidson, used to say, you know, when the teachers come out of our program or the professionals come out of our program, they're baby teachers. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have these knowledge, but they have to really mm-hmm. learn it. She was very empathetic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people judging new teachers or new professionals yeah. too harshly. Right. When they've just been through the program and now they've yeah. really got to put that knowledge yeah. in practice. And they need community to do that. Right. You know, the main reason I wanted to talk to you today was about CEC. Could you uh, share what CEC stands for and what DVIDB stand for within sure. that? Sure. So it can be confusing, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Council for Exceptional Children, mm-hmm. CEC, mm-hmm. is the largest international organization that serves um, educators who call themselves special educators. Okay. In any variety, and that includes gifted education. Mm-hmm. So this uh, CEC, I was looking this up last night just to kind of <laughs> sure. check on our numbers. Yeah, we have uh, twenty-seven thousand active members. Wow! And wow! But the but that's a, there's a lot of heterogeneity and sure. diversity in that different mm-hmm. interests. So like much like AER has its divisions and its special mm-hmm. interest groups, and it has. Mm-hmm. Uh, programs in states, you know, regional groups, and then state level, CEC mirrors that. The Council for Exceptional Children calls, the, their tagline is they're the voice and vision of special education. Mm-hmm. They have a role in shaping policy, national policy in particular. But the DVIDB part of it, mm-hmm. I know it's a mouthful, yeah. Division on Visual Impairments and Deaf Blindness. Okay. For many years, it was DVI. Many people still oh, refer really? to it okay. as Division on Visual Impairments. Okay. It's one of 18 special interest divisions within the CEC. Wow. And the CEC works like a governing body mm-hmm. where it's uh, different divisions have uh, voting roles and rights within uh, the organization to, to influence change. Okay. But where we really come in strong is the policy piece. Mm -hmm. I think we are also really strong in creating standards Mm -hmm. that align with all of special education. Yeah. So that our DVIDB standards are competencies for teachers of the visually impaired, Mm -hmm. our competencies for teachers of the deaf blind, Mm -hmm. and our competencies for interveners Mm -hmm. are recognized through our body. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we co-create those standards through a consensual validation process, yeah, which is like a professional uh, consensus process that goes through several phases. Okay, people vote on our competencies. Mm-hmm. Um, they are checked and cleaned up by Big CEC. Yeah, they align with seven different domains that we say all special educators, mm-hmm. all special educators, adhere to these different seven mm-hmm. areas of knowledge and practice. Mm-hmm. So we position our knowledge and practice within those standards mm-hmm. as a way to have conversation yeah. with other special educators. Right. So that it's not so esoteric. Mm-hmm. We're not so different. You know, some people look at and they they say, oh, teacher of the visually impaired, that's just that's just so different from special education. Right. right. No. We need to have ways to explain what we do mm-hmm. and to align what we do with this model mm-hmm. that we say these are the standards of best practice for all educators. Yeah. And these are the specific knowledge and skill competencies 
that we need for our field mm -hmm. and our profession that are validated. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of our roles in CEC. I think that's such an important point. You know, I think that we sometimes have a hard time sharing ownership of our population that we serve because we're so passionate about our kids that are blind, VI, or deafblind. By recognizing that we're part of that system too and sharing some of that ownership over mm -hmm. what it should look like to educate our students, mm -hmm. um, I, I only see that as benefiting kids. We have to have that knowledge exchange. Yeah. We have to have that shared mm -hmm. ownership and conversation. Yeah in order to have influence. The influence that we have is really small in some ways. Yeah. The totally. dosage that we have, the mm -hmm. time that we have yeah. is limited. So yeah. it's even more essential that we're able to convey why we do what we do mm -hmm. and to share that process mm -hmm. in a role release process, yeah. in a knowledge sharing process, both with the child, mm -hmm. ultimately, mm -hmm. with the the family that stands beside that child, with the yeah. other educators, with the voc rehab providers, mm -hmm. with others in the community, and with the bus driver. Yeah. You know, with people that have no affiliation with special ed or special services at all mm -hmm. that are just Agreed. a part of the community. You know, you've already talked some about the important work of CEC. Do, do they offer uh, professional development as well? We do offer professional development. That's mm -hmm. our big, uh, one of our big areas of outreach and mission. Mm -hmm. So through the International Convention, we have strands that focus on visual impairment, deaf blindness, best practices, services, mm -hmm. posters, multi-session presentations. Wow. It's really interesting to me. I know you're a big part of AER. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of AER and have been. Um, the differences in the organizations are interesting in, in the ways we do professional development too. And they both have roles. Okay. Like you might see in our sessions other educators coming to our sessions who aren't in our field, yeah, but they are in special education. Mm -hmm. You might see, there's a, certainly a core audience of people that come mm -hmm. for that, that professional development and outreach, yeah. but our members also do present in other sessions. Mm -hmm. Some present in learning disabilities, some in gifted education. Yeah. So it, it gives us a little room to flow out into other areas. Some people also say, wow, there's just, there's not enough sessions on deaf blindness within DVIDB. Yeah. And my response to that is always, well, come and come and co-create them with <laughs> totally. us. Come and share. Yeah. Come and be a part of it. And mm -hmm. it may be that something about deaf blindness could be within our division, mm -hmm. or it might be that it could be shared in another division. Yeah. They have uh, an area on physical impairments and multiple disabilities. So mm -hmm. uh, students who have orthopedic impairments, there's a special division around that. Yeah. But as you know, many of our students with visual impairments mm -hmm. or deaf blindness, low vision could be in, could be represented in multiple divisions right. as well as in our own, depending on the topic area that we're taking yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. It's thinking broader outside of our kind of mm -hmm. silos we tend to fall into sometimes. 
Yes. So we also offer webinars. We do oh, that. Do. Yeah, we, we're doing a little bit more of that. We're a volunteer board. Mm-hmm. So many on yeah. my board are all you know busy professionals, mm-hmm. just like any volunteer organization. Sure. So sometimes it can get hard to keep up a flow or a pace. Yeah. I think that's another way that we're a little different from AER, that AER does have some funded staff. Mm-hmm. So for us at CEC, sometimes we partner with a few of the paid staff for big CEC. Okay. But it's a much larger organization. Right. So we right. might partner with member services mm-hmm. within big CEC. Mm-hmm. Um, and that organization tries to offer professional development to us mm-hmm. on leadership as well. So every year oh, there's a neat. leadership conference for our division that we attend in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. That's a part of the, mm-hmm. our structure, mm-hmm. as well as the international mm-hmm. um, convention that we have every year, and then our, our webinars and outreach, mm. things like that. I like that idea of having uh, the leadership get together. It, it's a good way to, to get to know uh, the people in autism. Mm-hmm. So there's a very active... Division on Developmental Disabilities in CEC. A lot of research and practice comes out of CEC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of really smart people at many different universities, but also practitioners, administrators. One thing, Emily, I wanted to say to you that I thought you'd be interested in Mm is that there is a very strong division within CEC that is for administrators. And it's called CASE. Some of the divisions, if you see, like if you could do a a tactile graphic of Mm -hmm. the organization, there are bigger bubbles within that large ecosystem, within that large bubble of CEC. Mm -hmm. CASE is a big one. Mm. Um, And CASE provides a lot of really specific emphasis for administrators at yeah. every level. Mm. So they focus on legal issues, they focus on uh, staff issues, they mm-hmm. focus some on HR, mm-hmm. but other types of leadership that appeals to yeah. those that are playing that role. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a strength of the organization. You know, I, I've heard people talk about like case conferences and stuff, um, but I've I only like kind of in a cursory way, like I'm, I haven't gotten into it that much. So, well, if you and I were to work together, mm-hmm. like to take on some of the issues where sometimes we feel like in our field of visual yeah. impairment, deaf blindness, orientation mobility, we can be overlooked mm-hmm. very easily in mm-hmm. these larger systems. Mm-hmm. We might think of ways to be strategic mm-hmm. with within case mm-hmm. to get the message out about what is unique about an itinerant teacher's role? Yeah. What is unique about our needs in an efficient and effective way where administrators can both understand it mm-hmm. and then excitingly mm-hmm. impact change? Yeah. Um, maybe at the regulatory level, there's a legislative level, of course, but yeah. in what they're doing in their organizations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as president of AER, of course, I'm heavily engaged in that organization, yet I'm also a member of CEC. Why do you feel inclined to stay connected in multiple ways in our field? Why do you think it's important to be a membership of both or to have different lenses? Well, you know, I think just as you say, it is different lenses. We, mm-hmm. can, we can always learn from each other. 
Yeah. You know, I, I learn from the young women who are leading this conference today, mm-hmm. you know, the way the thoughtful ways that information is put together, mm-hmm. uh, the thoughtful ways that you you are meeting different needs at different times. Mm-hmm. So it's not wrong that there's also CEC. Sometimes no. people think, oh, I, I have to be one or the other. I have to be competitive. I have to think of, oh, it's it's either CEC wins or it's AER wins. You know, yeah. it's not like that at all. Yeah. It's a way to engage in meaningful conversations, mm-hmm. learn from other people. Mm-hmm. As you said so eloquently, Emily, growing those leadership skills, mm-hmm. having opportunities for other people mm-hmm. to speak, to participate, to lead. Mm-hmm. What a joy that is to yeah. see um, other people who maybe don't typically participate. And mm-hmm. I love AER mm-hmm. because it's also thought leaders who do love and who have sustained service Mm -hmm. in our field over a long period of time, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes in within AER, there's, there's competition there too, right? Is it the O&M division or is it the international division or is it this or is it that? Yeah. And instead of that competitive model, I hope we can start to think of um, symbiotic models Mm -hmm. where, you know, there are roles for Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. We need all of it. We do. We don't need less of it. We need all of it. Yeah. How do we sustain our bandwidth? Mm -hmm. Well, I think we continue to, as I've seen you do at this conference, (laughs) invite people to the leadership table. Yeah. Invite people to share what they know. Mm -hmm. Invite people to to partner up on a project Mm -hmm. or to raise their hand and say, sure, I'll learn how to be a member at large. What advice do you have for folks that might be unsure about the need of joining a professional organization and could or should families join too? Oh, wow. That's a, <laughs> the, the, the last part's a little bit of an interesting one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can jump there if you want because we've tackled some of the first. You know, but. I, um, as a family member, mm-hmm. as a sister of Melody, as uh, a mother of my son, mm-hmm. who happens to be on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. and, a, and a daughter who's neuroatypical, we mm-hmm. think, we don't know. I see families as integral to professional organizations, which can be hard sometimes in that families do come at different places on their journey yeah. to the professional learning community, mm-hmm. and at different ways that they want to participate. You know, some yeah. people want to do what what you did and become uh, a TVI, mm-hmm. take on that role. And some people are don't want to do that or they want to learn some, they want to participate. They just want to be a good parent. Yeah. Um, so people come to us in different ways. Mm-hmm. I think we are stronger when families are at the table. Yeah. How to include them as a family member myself, uh, I think we have to be creative about that. So Mm -hmm. one of the things we're doing at the CEC is we have community forum. Mm -hmm. uh, And in that time, we've been a little more thoughtful about inviting families and young adults who are deafblind, young adults who are blind or visually impaired into that forum time Mm -hmm. to be a part of discussing issues with us. So maybe they don't want to attend an expensive conference like the CEC. So they don't want to come and learn in that same way and go to all the sessions and wear the badges and do the conference thing. 
but they do want to be included at a table where they're talking about what's important mm -hmm. and giving advice yeah. to us. Yeah. So I think we have to be smart about that mm -hmm. and smart shifts and it looks differently in the ways we construct that. So for your community forums, do you hold those in person or are they online or how do you make that happen? Well, we've been talking about how to do a hybrid approach, but okay. typically we do try to have them face to face mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a, as a part of the, the convention. Yeah. We host them for free though, whereas right. people might have to pay to come to the convention. Right. We, we open them up and we try to make sure people know about them. Mm -hmm. We also do a big social and business meeting and, and do invite family to that. Yeah. Uh, if we want to sign up for CEC membership, where do we go? How do you do that? Where do you find out more? So if you just Google Council for Exceptional Children mm -hmm. or cec.sped.org, mm -hmm. there's a way to, they recruit all the time about mm -hmm. joining the big organization. And then like AER structure where there are sub communities to be a part of, I almost sure. said divisions, <laughs> you can sign up for that as well. Okay. And we have different pricing structures mm -hmm. for students to attract students. We have different That's pricing great. structures for people who want to be voting members, mm -hmm. who don't want to be voting members, or who had a different part place in their career. Yeah. So we try to be smart about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I would just also say, Emily, that um, related to our whole conversation, and my thinking, even from this conference today, there we have these two hands, mm -hmm. right, always going in our minds. And I think we belong to professional organizations because on the first hand, we have to have the knowledge and skills in our hands to serve kids, to serve adults and their families well. Mm -hmm. That's the first hand. Yeah. The second hand that I always think about is how do we also serve in collaboration the others that stand beside mm -hmm. that child or that adult mm -hmm. well? Mm -hmm. How do we serve those communities well? Yeah. And so you really need um, both hands at the same time, mm -hmm. but they, they have different functions at different times. And our professional learning communities, our professional organizations, like the Council for Exceptional Children, DVIDB, mm -hmm like AER, they help us with both, with both hands mm -hmm. and gain those skills with both hands. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about that too. Why do you give me so much to think about? <laughs> I think good. the feeling is mutual. <laughs> okay, do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. I knew CEC's work was important for special education, but only upon visiting with Adam Graves from TSBVI DeafBlind Outreach did I decide to immediately enlist. As a member of the DVIDB board and a leader in our field, Adam continues to enlighten us all. My name is Adam Graves and uh, I am one of the members of the DeafBlind Outreach Team here at TSBVI. And I am a member of the board of directors for the Division on Visual Impairment 
and Deafblindness, or DVIDB, uh, which is a division within the Council for Exceptional Children. I am a representative of DVIDB to the Interdivisional Council for CEC, which is a group of people from different divisions of CEC that gather to discuss issues regarding the larger organization. So I serve on that. I also serve on the CEC's Committee on Maltreatment, um, which looks at um, issues regarding the maltreatment of children who have disabilities within the school system and then also outside the school system and how we as an organization can help bring awareness to that and uh, why they're at risk for maltreatment and how we can prevent that. And I also serve on the committee for uh, knowledge and skills standards and uh, that group uh, reviews the, the knowledge and skills standards that are set for every discipline within CEC mm. and then each individual division's set of knowledge and skill standards. So basically, if you're like a, a TVI, these are the standards that you're going to teach. Mm -hmm. If you're like a university program or a training program for TVIs, um, or in the CEC's case, you know, it's, it covers autism and all different disabilities, you know, learning disabilities, mm -hmm. including, you know, things like diagnosticians, you know, they, they have a set of standards as well. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it is do. a lot of work. I mean, but yeah. they don't mess around at the CEC. No, well, and that's part of the reason that I have gotten so involved at CEC mm -hmm. is because the CEC is a really large organization. It's a, it's a big, um, you know, it's one of the largest organizations for special educators in the country. And there are members not only from the United States, but all over the world. And so, you know, it's a big group to advocate for children with disabilities all over the world. And we're a small little part of it. You know, the Division on Visual Impairment and Deaf Blindness is a small part, but we have the opportunity to have a big voice when we are active and participating in these larger groups like the Interdivisional Council and the Knowledge and Skills Committee. You know, we have a chance to include our issues in things like the general base of knowledge and skills that every special educator should learn. Having a voice in, in a big group, mm -hmm. I think, is really valid because it provides uh, other people the opportunity to see where our population fits in to this larger group of mm -hmm. special education or students with special needs. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a really important avenue for us to, to uh, explore, I think. It's more than if we just went with a few hundred people who represent our membership. Mm -hmm. You know, it means a lot more if we have the thousands of voices of the entire CEC behind us, you know. I think it's important too to, to look at how like DVA, DVIDB and CEC aren't just entities in and of themselves, you know, like there we do have a relationship with AER and we have people we have a lot of people who are members of both because there's you know, CEC represents the education 
aspect, you know, and, and that's, that's their main focus. And AER, you know, combines both the educational, people who work in education, but then also people who work in rehab. And so I think that it's important to have that partnership and, and to have people who are uh, involved in, in both of those organizations because, again, it's that ability to combine your resources and your assets and your voices uh, to be united in, in what you want and expressing yourself mm -hmm. to people who are the ones that are going to be making decisions about who gets what in terms of resources. So it's not an either or situation mm -hmm. in terms of like looking at organizations and whether to be in an organization. Yeah. It's better to be, I think, in, involved in more than one because you, then you can start to build connections between the, the organizations that are going to be advocating for your needs. It's easy to silo ourselves in the world of visual impairment, blindness, and deafblindness, as I have done before, but I'm gaining a greater appreciation for remaining part of a bigger picture. CEC is a perfect opportunity to stay true to our background while also aligning within the larger scope of special education. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.